0: Hey, guys. Hey,
1: guys. Welcome back to The Selfie Show. It's Tori and, and Sam, two besties bringing you all things healthcare, humor, and unpopular opinions, and we're just firing them off lately. <laughs> rapid fire, rapid fire, unpopular opinions. Here oh, we go. Man, I just can't stop. This week,
0: because I feel like you and I are both, like, it, I'm I'm feeling on edge, not with you, but, like, just with life and people in general, and I, I got a lot, of, yeah, I, I agree. I'm so
1: grumpy right
0: now. You, you guys- I don't even you, want to be recording. You, I'm so- <laughs>
1: I was like, I have slept like four hours a night for the last two weeks. I'm like, unwell. Yeah. I'm so over it. And
0: then I woke up today. It's that lovely time of the month. And I just, when you just wake up and you're just angry and you're just mad. I think if I was
1: on my period right now, I would cry just for the sheer fact that I exist. Yeah. Like I would just be, wake up and be mad that I'm here. Yeah. I literally (laughs) had, I
0: was telling Sam, I had an acupuncture appointment today and the acupuncturist, she, she was correcting me on something, and it really rubbed me the wrong way. And this week, I've just had so much going on, and I'm about to work three night shifts. And I was like, "Lady, this is not the time. I am not the person. Do not do this today."
1: <laughs> so. Oof. When you catch me in those days, I I pray for you. But hopefully today we're gonna we're gonna rejuge we're gonna rejuge today. And so speaking, of
0: which what is the unpopular opinion that we this week, Samantha?
1: I feel like this is on brand for the topic that we discuss later, but it is a pet peeve of mine when people so casually throw around, oh my gosh, I'm so OCD. No, you're just really organized. Mm-hmm. You like do not meet the criteria for OCD of having like ritualistic behavior of counting things and hand washing and blah, 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 blah. Or, oh, I'm so ADHD just because you're right. kind of forgetful or you're being like super energetic hyper or every ex of yours is a narcissist, narcissist yeah. or ex- no, they were just a shitty person, right? You can be a shitty person and not be a narcissist right. or, oh, they're gaslighting me. Like, no, they're just like lying or they mm-hmm. believe their own random version of the truth. They're not truly gaslighting you. I think right. we've just become so comfortable and it's good. I like, we're always, yes, let's talk about mental health. Like let's talk about mental health, right? Big on it. Mm-hmm. Don't stop. However, I think we've gotten to now this weird point where we so casually just use all these buzzwords in mental health. And I feel like it takes away from the people that actually deal with those things, like people who actually had a narcissistic, abusive type ex that they were with or truly are ADHD, truly are OCD and have these things or whatever. It's just kind of like, stop. It's annoying. I don't know.
0: It just... mm. Yeah, I agree. I think it's good. I'm I am very glad that we're talking about things these things so much more openly because I think when you and I were growing up, these were things that were very taboo, right? Like we did not talk about it. Mental health was not a thing. Like if you were someone who was seeking therapy at the time, we've talked about that a lot that it was something you don't want to talk about. You keep it you keep it to yourselves. It's for the family only, right? The family only knows. So I think it is good we're talking about it, but I 100% agree, especially as we've talked about it here on the show. My brother's bipolar. So when someone says something like, oh, my God, he's so bipolar. And I'm like, they're not. No. Yeah. Just because they're moody. Don't know. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That would be like me saying I'm bipolar because I'm in a bad mood today because I haven't slept in a week and I like you're on your period and we're like, we can be moody bitches. Yeah. (laughs) I am a moody bitch, but I'm not bipolar. Right. And I feel like if I were to describe my moody bitch swings mm-hmm. as bipolar, like no, stop. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't For know. Sure.
0: Yeah, I think it it does. It sort of demeans the people who have and struggle with those particular diagnoses and struggle with mental health in that way. So I hundred percent agree with you. I am on this I am on this this band. Or I, I feel I like it
1: just takes away from the fact where now it's become so common that when you really do have ADHD or this or that people are just like eh, yeah like, for sure whatever they kind of just like yeah I right, see you are. and everyone else like whatever right. it's like no 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 no
0: yeah well that's why we talk about these things here on the selfie show and that's why we wanted to bring on
1: yes we do. our
0: guest this week I think actually before we get into it I think it's really fun because this particular episode Sam and I actually open up a lot about our own little journeys. So you guys are going to hear a little bit about that. And just sort of this is a fun little roundtable, if you will, of learning about this and offering some tips and tricks and all the goods.
1: It's kind of no surprise that people with ADHD (laughs) become nurses. It makes sense. Oh, my God, for sure. I thrive in that organized chaos. Absolutely
0: organized chaos. And then you can change up. There's a lot of if you need to change, you can if you get bored with something you know, you can move on to the next thing. It's great. Yeah. I think yeah. it's actually a very good profession for a and lot of people. if you us.
1: actually look at how much we've changed our career paths, like, yeah. rant, rant, we're 100%. just like, right, left,
0: right, left. Like, I need a change. Let's do this. Let's do
1: that. Yeah. We're pretty extreme sometimes, but here, we're here for it. And be like that sometimes. Absolutely. All right. So today we have Jamie, also known as the neurodivergent nurse. She was diagnosed with ADHD at 36 years old and has been on a journey to learn more about the diagnosis and how to navigate through it. She's had struggles throughout her nursing career, but kind of always knew there was something more there. Today, we really get real, raw, and share her embarrassing stories, ours, Mm -hmm. about living with ADHD and get into her podcast, also called The Neurodivergent Nurse.
0: Yeah. And then since receiving the diagnosis, she started her podcast and the IG account that focuses primarily on ADHD, but also it focuses a lot on women, since the presentation can be significantly different than men. So today we get into a lot of relatable conversations. We talk neurodivergent, what is it, being a people pleaser, social anxiety, imposter syndrome, and rejection sensitivity, and so much more. So without further ado, let's get into the show with Jamie. Okay, Miss Jamie, we were just saying off camera how much you just are like our twins. Like growing up, literally like, oh, as Sam. (laughs) Yeah, as (laughs) as I don't even have the mic in the right (laughs) place because my is like all over. This is also a topic that Sam and I have been wanting to talk about for so long and something that I think gets a really bad rap. And so we're really excited to dig into this with you today. Before we get into that, we need to know what is your unpopular opinion?
3: My unpopular opinion is that women as a whole suffer much more from ADHD than men do just because of issues with menopause and our cycles every month and also the expectations in general on women in general causes increased suffering for those of us with ADHD. And people really do not like to hear
1: that at all. Well, And the misdiagnosis, I feel like we're so much more misdiagnosed. 100%. And then, yeah, everything just gets blamed on being a woman. Yeah. (laughs) Well, there's
0: that. Mm -hmm. I think that this is coming so much more to light. And I think a lot of people are having late diagnosis or attention to it and starting to put like two and two together and like, oh, that's why I am the way that I am. Or that's why I'm doing the things that I do. I can't tell you the amount of times where Jacob and I even are in our relationship. He's like, why are you like this? Why are you doing this? And you're piling on all these things, but then you can't keep things together and it's just it's really interesting so this is definitely a topic that is near and dear to to Sam and I as Sam also had late diagnosis so I think this is 100% 100% well I'm so honored
3: that y'all have me on here to talk about this so thank you
0: how did you get into all this let's hear your background your upbringing all before all this let's hear all the goods
1: Ooh, I mean Before diagnosis, that was just a world of pain. No, I'm like, man, if I got diagnosed at an appropriate age, that would have saved a lot of therapy bills. Mm -hmm. 100%. Or nursing school
3: would not have been as difficult. Or panic attacks would have been at a minimum. All of those things would have made for such an easier life, in a sense. But me growing up, I grew up in the South, if you can't tell from my accent. And I think one of the things that's really tough that while the whole world is learning about ADHD and what it looks like in women or adult men is very different than what it looks like in a six-year-old boy, Yes, that in the South, in the United States, mental health is still the dirty word. Therapy is not something that is embraced if you have mental health issues. There is, of course, there's still a stigma period on it, but in the South, it's really palpable, that stigma is. And so therefore, my mom, who I was very, very close to growing up, she knew that there were problems with me, like going through and learning word problems. And I could not figure out word problems. It, It didn't make sense to me. She recognized that there were these very large obstacles and she was bright with being able to figure out ways that I could overcome them to help me find out the way that I could learn a certain way. But because there wasn't a lot of information about what ADHD looked like, she had no idea. And when I got diagnosed at 36, she actually went through a mourning process herself because she was so sad and apologized so much that... I had to live three decades with ADHD that wasn't I didn't get help for, that I didn't have medication for. And she felt like she failed as a parent by not knowing that I had ADHD. And that also has really fanned the flame of me wanting to talk to everyone and let them know what that looks like. So I don't have to have another wonderful parent that is sad later and feel like they failed their child or that people have to live for all of these decades like we did with the same type of struggle. But growing up, I was bullied a lot, which is common in people with ADHD because we're just different. And I was good in school until nursing school came around, but I had a lot of social anxiety that followed me not just through Middle school, but into my mid and early 20s, I couldn't look in a mirror for weeks at a time. I, without crying, I just really hated who I was. And I couldn't handle going places where everyone would turn and see me because they would just look at me. Whereas I was the captain of the cheerleading squad in college and I was the top girl. But people saw me as a cheerleader and they saw me as the captain. They saw me as what I wanted them to see. But if I had to go in as Jamie, I couldn't handle it. That was the idea or the thought that people would see me for all of who I was. I can't articulate yeah. <laughs> well enough the pain that I felt inside that somebody might actually see me.
0: God, you're so that was girl, preaching to both of us. I feel like both of us. <laughs> really struggled with that as well.
1: I genuinely think it's amazing, though, that diagnosis at your age, that your mom was supportive, because I think there's still such a stigma now getting diagnosed so late in life that, I don't know, I feel like sometimes people don't necessarily believe me because their brain is still, like you mentioned, classic six-year-old boy ADHD. Right. So they're like, what do you mean you have ADHD? And I feel like there's been people who don't believe me or think like, There are the drugs that treat ADHD Mm -hmm. have become popular for people without prescriptions because it can help them stay up all night and write a paper or party or sports Mm -hmm. or whatever. And I'm like, no, I need that to just function function baseline like a human. And I feel like the first time I ever took meds, I'm like, you guys just raw dog life like this. Like you wake up and you function this way because I've never felt like this in my life. And I don't get like this crazy burst of energy or an increased heart rate or any Mm -hmm. of that because I'm like. No, it just makes me function. So I think I'm just like, that's awesome that your mom was supportive because I feel like that's one of the biggest things I've noticed is in in a late diagnosis is that people think you're just like full of shit Mm -hmm. sometimes.
3: Well, I'm her only child, number one. And she and I were just the closest of friends. I love that. And (laughs) yeah, she was just the most wonderful person. But she also knew all of the struggles that I had, right, in mm-hmm. nursing school, she knew that I was very bright. She always thought I was just so intelligent. And I didn't struggle in high school. I didn't struggle to get, like, an associate's degree initially. I, I was on the dean's list. I had all of that. But I remember studying in nursing school, and I could regurgitate things, and I could understand all that I was studying. But I would get to a test, and as y'all know, you have four right answers, I am such a black and white thinker. I mean, while I love the world of color and creativity and stuff, I am very black and white. And so when you ask me what is the best right answer, but the best right answer for who? I don't understand who you're wanting the right answer for. And so I can, I can come up with a reason why all of these are the correct and the best answer. And she knew that I had that struggle and that, too, at times I would tell her, so I feel like there's a disconnect. I'll read it and something gets jumbled around in my brain. I'm not dyslexic, but just the the comprehension, I could tell that there was a disconnect. So there were these pieces that I would share with her throughout all, all of my life and struggles and things like that. Cause she was the person I told everything to. Mm-hmm. And whenever she found out that this is what ADHD looks like in a female, in adults and, and I mean, it was just as big of an epiphany for me as it was for her as well.
0: I relate to you so strongly on so many levels with that. So I I would say during high school, I was a relatively good student. I wouldn't say I was. I was definitely not in the AP classes, but I was pretty good. And then I got to nursing school. And the struggle for me, by the way, to get into nursing school was phenomenal. Like Sam and I've talked about this so many times. Like My struggle was beyond hard and I struggle with a little bit of dyslexia as well. So I'm really curious from your like maybe to break down ADHD and to get like a base because I think there's a lot of misinformation out there. I think a lot of people really don't understand what it is and maybe what it isn't. So can you break that down for us a little bit and help us understand a little bit more about it? Yeah, I sure can.
3: So ADHD, it's a neurological disorder. And the disorder impacts parts of our brain that helps us plan, focus on things, and execute tasks. And ADHD in general used to be known as ADD as well. But now it's just subtypes. You have inattentive, hyperactive, and then you have combined. Those are the three different subtypes. And so with ADHD... There are several reasons why you could have it, but it could go along with dopamine is one of the chemicals that they notice that there's a deficit in the brain of someone with ADHD. We call them neurodivergence, that that's our pleasure center. And so even with with doing tasks, typically... People who are neurotypical that don't have ADHD or autism or, or they're on that neurodivergent spectrum, that they're able to prioritize. They're able to say, hey, I need to start working on a paper this due two weeks from now. We don't have that ability. It is literally a brain function that we are struggling with, with things like that. And it comes from our difficulties with executive function that helps us be able to have that time management, to be able to have that pleasure. We're pleasure oriented because of the dopamine issue that we have in our brain. So if we don't automatically get pleasure from it, the ability to get up and to do those tasks are so, 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 so difficult. And because like you were saying, this, Diagnosis is not super well known what it looks like in adult. So we weren't raised with the ability to do the tasks that we can't prioritize correctly. We didn't know that you need something to reward yourself to actually get initiated to do these things that are difficult for us instead of just laying on your couch and scrolling through TikTok. Because it's interesting that people who don't have ADHD that they can't comprehend that while we know we have all of these things we need to do and we're scrolling through TikTok or Instagram, we're still inside just hating ourselves for not having the ability saying, why can't I just get up and do this? Or you're making a deal with yourself saying, okay, at 2.30, I'm going to start. And then 2.31 rolls around you're like, okay, three o'clock, I'm going to start because I'm one minute past it. But It's just a paralysis that actually happens with us because of that. So that's a lot of information about what ADHD is summed up in a bite-sized piece. God, I feel this.
0: It's interesting, too, because just thinking about Sam and I, even with our workflows and how we are, we're both the, the person who does wait until the last minute but also it's something that we absolutely love. And so it's hard because we'll both deprioritize other things and reprioritize other things. I know for me specifically, just thinking about this with grad school, perfect example, right? I would rather do so all of the podcast things and all these projects and all these things that I have coming up than school. And so I feel like that has been something that has been so hard for me to just sit down, get it done. And now I'm finally in the last push, but it has been I can't even explain to you how hard it has been for me to get through my grad school degree. Like
1: Sam knows it is a real struggle. I don't think I could have done a grad school program like yours because yours is self-paced and mine was a traditional 16-week brick and mortar like semester system. And it's like there's a due date. Yes. But I did not start any grad school paper until the night before it was due. Yep. Oh, yeah. Like I I
0: actually a hundred percent agree. And my husband just said this. Jacob said this the other day. He's like, I actually think you might have done better in a traditional program just for that reason. You need because a deadline. I need a deadline. Cause right now I do somewhat have a deadline, but not in the format it's that most people do. But it is self. And so that's really, really hard for me. And it's I I can find every reason in the world to work on other things that are in my head either more
1: important or maybe a little bit like feel like i'm doing something more fun i will have yeah, a 7 a.m flight i have to pack for and notice something in my fridge and then all of a sudden cleaning I'm the fridge deep cleaning my fridge at 2 a.m when i have a 7 a.m flight i haven't finished packing for but now i have to finish cleaning my fridge yes. and mm-hmm. it's like what the actual fuck and i can't is feel good shocking to me that this podcast even exists <laughs> and runs And has been going on as long as it has and that we actually put out content every week because I don't... uh, The episodes drop Tuesday and I finish editing them Monday at around midnight when they drop and that... Because that's your deadline. And if something... (laughs) That is the deadline. And if something goes wrong with it, well, this episode might have to get pushed a week or whatever because there is no time to figure it out I finish it literally when it needs to be released yeah
0: yeah it's it's really interesting so I feel like we both relate to this super super well I actually really want to know this because this is a new term to me but I'm hearing it all over the place neurodivergent like let's go into that because I think one I didn't even know really what it was but I do think it's something that a lot of people are talking about like what does this mean give us all like the details about this we want to know
3: so neurodivergence is just something that is not typical, right? So you have neurotypical, quote unquote, normal, normal brain, which I mean, as nurses, doesn't make your skin crawl to hear somebody say something's normal. So yeah. I apologize. i like, oh, within normal limits. No, it is not. There's yeah. not a normal limit for this person. OK, so it's it's a normal brain. It's the brain that has all the things that people have as majority of society. So, neurodivergent is that instead of having this perfect-lined brain, this linear thinking, we diverge off of it. Again, it can it can be ADHD. It could also be people who are autistic, people who have bipolar disorder, mood disorders, things like that. Just those all fall into the neurodivergency, just because they're something that's other than the mass norm right. of brains.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Can you dive into untreated ADHD and how that impacts people or even just being misdiagnosed? Yes, yes, yes. I love this topic because
3: people, women especially, they typically are diagnosed with anxiety or depression prior to receiving an ADHD diagnosis. They get put on that medication for anxiety. They get put on medication for depression. Well, It doesn't really fix all the things, right? It doesn't, it doesn't change the problems that you are actually having, which is wild because you actually do have depression because untreated ADHD can lead to mood disorders. It can lead to generalized anxiety. It can lead to depression. It can lead to social anxiety. It can lead to all of those things. That is part of the reason why it's very important for that information to get out what ADHD looks like in females, in adults in general, because you don't want to suffer from that because now you're going to need compounded medication Mm -hmm. to help treat all of the symptoms that have come about from the life and the struggle that you have lived with undiagnosed and untreated ADHD.
1: Mm -hmm. I feel like my psychiatrist said it best my new one that diagnosed me they're like I'd be pretty depressed too if I had untreated ADHD Right, right. and I was like no seriously though right I mean
0: that's the thing okay so because it does present differently I would say for women versus your 12 year old child so what are maybe some of the signs and symptoms like what are we seeing in a lot of us who are maybe undiagnosed or diagnosed and maybe the differences between female, male, and like age category. Okay, sure.
3: And and part of the part of the struggle with this is because anytime I post about this on my Instagram account, I have so many people come into the comment section, so many men that are angry and they're like, well, I have that problem too. And I was like, cool, that's neat. But you also had the other problems that led to your diagnosis at six years old. Whereas this is only how I presented. Therefore, research is typically based around boys and men. Mm. Therefore, we don't know medically. We don't have all the research to formulate what it looks like in females and women and all of that. Because even when they do stuff with adults, majority of the people that they do the trials on are still men mm. in those trials. And that's, that's one of the problems. But Typically, boys, they have the inability to sit still whenever they're young, they're bouncing around in class, they are disruptive, they are the class clown. They have the typical, you just can't make them stop and listen and pay attention. That is what's seen. And a lot of times leading up to puberty, it just gets exacerbated in young boys. And then after puberty, they come down to more of just the inattentive type of presentation. So that's what boys look like. Girls, however, that are young, they don't have, which we don't all fall in the same box, but. We don't typically have the bouncing off of the walls presentation. We're the daydreamers. We may be the little girls that just do not stop talking and they're just chatty the entire time because because our, our inattentiveness, it doesn't come across as we're doing all of these things. We're, we're more in a closed space of what our presentation looks like. And then we talk about getting into adulthood. The issues that we have in adulthood with ADHD, we're unable to finish tasks. It may, we may have a really difficult time finishing up the last couple pieces to finish that paper. Or I have a painting I've been working on for a gift for months now, and I hit a little bit of a roadblock. I'm like, all right, I feel like I'm done with this painting. And I'm never going to finish it. I just nope. can't wrap it. I can't make myself do it. Our impulsivity, too as adults whereas you have a little child they're impulsive you know what that looks like but for us it may be spending we may have Uh impulsive purchases yeah i mean amazon may not be your best friend like when you're feeling really sad you need that hit of dopamine you're impulsive you're gonna buy those things that you're wanting i just bought a gucci bag a month ago because i was feeling really sad that something bad happened Mm -hmm. so that's our presentation looks significantly different even though they theirs may look similar they may also have those issues but we just don't have the neon sign pointing to us like
0: they often do how common is ADHD like i think now of course we're talking about it more and more which i'm i'm really glad for And I would argue there's a lot of people who are very much against, I would concur with you that a lot of people are against this, right? They're just like, it's something that is made up. It's like, it doesn't. And big pharma just trying to drug out
1: all our kids. Right.
0: (laughs) And so I'm curious, like, how common is it? Do you think there is a rise, a rise in this? Like, is it that? how common is it? First of all, I guess.
3: I'm looking for my notes because I made a note of this to talk about because also a few things that have through my research on ADHD, a lot of people believe that it's a childhood disorder and you just grow out of it. And that's not true, though some people who are diagnosed as children, they don't go through once they hit 17 years old or past puberty, their symptoms are not as significant. Therefore, it doesn't cause issues with them in the same capacity. So they may not need to be medicated into adulthood. So there is a percentage of children that were diagnosed young that once they hit teenage years, late teenage years, that they do fine without being treated for it any longer. But it is 11% of children are diagnosed in the U.S. with ADHD, and almost 5% of adults. That was the latest numbers that I mm-hmm. could find, the most up-to-date
0: numbers, and I believe that was through the CDC. I would argue that's low, especially just with, well, for I, women, because I think a lot of yeah, women are not diagnosed properly.
3: Oh, of course, and that's the that's the issue. And I, you were asking. What about the changes in diagnosis? How people are suddenly diagnosed, what does that mean? Is it just because people want medication because they're going back to school and they think it might be cool? Or I hear people say that it's a fad diagnosis, but I think that the issue is we didn't know what it looked like. And during COVID, when everyone got on TikTok and there was a lot of great education that came out during those times when we couldn't do as much which is also contributing to the shortage of Adderall in these medications as well, I don't think it's companies that are just giving a diagnosis to everyone. I think it's because we are so underdiagnosed in this country. And now that we're we're getting it and we're getting the help and people are finding that being medicated is very important and is life-changing for many of us, that They now need this medication, supply and demand type of thing. So statistically, I agree with you that the statistics don't meet the reality of those of us that
0: have ADHD. Mm -hmm. In terms of treatment, what are the most common treatment modalities? And then also you're talking to maybe the parent who does have a child who was diagnosed. Is there a way to do this without medication? Like what's the latest going on with, with this?
3: my first of all after i got diagnosed with adhd there's a genetic component oftentimes there is certainly a link so if your child gets diagnosed which is what happened with me i got diagnosed and all of a sudden the things that i started saying i didn't know was adhd looked exactly the same in my dad (laughs) and he started on medication at 70 years old Wow. For ADHD, okay. because he still owns his own business. He's a computer programmer and he has trouble with focus. And I'm circling back briefly because we're talking about how women who are not diagnosed, that they often are misdiagnosed with anxiety and depression first. For a lot of the older adults, like my dad, they think they have early onset dementia. And when they go in and they, because they're, they're getting more and more forgetful, And they're thinking there's a problem, but it's really because their sleeping patterns have changed. It's really, they're up all night with nocturia. So they're not getting the rest they needed. Their exercise is decreasing later in age for a lot of them, all the things that exacerbate ADHD. But at 70 years old, you think, oh no, I'm starting to get dementia or Alzheimer's. And then they find out that it's just ADHD and there's a medication they can help. Yeah. So you have stimulants and then you have medications that are non-stimulants. So the stimulants help and people will laugh sometimes. I've heard people tell stories. They went to a party and they took an upper, they took some type of stimulant medication, and then they just sat down and they were zoned out in the corner and they felt very comfortable. And they're like, oh, shoot, I have ADHD because it does not have the same effect because people think it's like meth and a pill, right? Mm-mm. Because it's a, some type of amphetamine, which as you said earlier, it doesn't do the same for us as it does neurotypical brains. With the, It helps with the dopamine uptake. So those executive functions that I talked about earlier with being able to be on time to have the motivation to get up to do certain tasks because our brain is starting to take that dopamine up at more of a regular level, then we're able to do those things, but we don't feel like we're driven by a motorboat because we take the medication. So you have the stimulants, then you have the non-stimulants, and those could range from some type of antidepressant or because if you have a cardiac issue, you don't want to be on a stimulant because it causes your heart rate to increase, your blood pressure to increase, and you just don't want to endanger those people for it. Mm-hmm. And you were talking, you asked a second part of that question about parents with kids with ADHD. What was that question? Yeah,
0: I'm curious for, because I'm sure, and I, I, I get the notion here, right? Is my child's diagnosed or potentially on the spectrum of ADHD or neurodivergent in some way? And I totally understand the notion of I want my child to be a child and to be, live the way they are. But it is a real struggle for a lot of these children in terms of classrooms So I'm curious if in terms of treatment, what are things that you see for children in addition to maybe stimulants? Are there other things that they're seeing that really help kids through that time?
2: Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.
3: Okay, so, right, this is always difficult because people who don't understand medicine and understand healthcare well, they are doing the best they can to protect their children and giving them what they believe is the best life of being a child or, or whatever. So no slight to people who are trying to do what is best for their children. I am completely on board. I do know that there are some foods like red dye will exacerbate ADHD symptoms. So it comes more down to symptom management, trying to figure out what are the things that really triggers the ADHD symptoms and to try to cut those out, like higher proteins in the diet. I know omega-3 is very important. Like I said, you want to stay away from dyes in general and food, but red dye is the one that I've found the most. And of course, there's therapy that the kids can do. There's cognitive behavioral therapy. So that helps to learn tasks that help with specifically ADHD and how to do certain things, how to initiate doing tasks in your home mm-hmm. or how to not interrupt people whenever they're talking the whole time. And that's mm-hmm. very beneficial. Yeah. Fidget toys are also great for kids. Hopefully they will have a teacher. <laughs> I was going to say, I need oh, a couple yeah. of fidget toys. I
1: cannot yeah. not yeah. have yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah hundred percent. Yeah, same here.
3: But like my my husband is a middle school math teacher and he asked me every now and then, hey, what what would be a good fidget toy for this kid in my classroom? And I found something the other day that's it's a rubber band that goes around the bottom of the desk so kids can just bounce their legs mm-hmm. the whole time, too. And it doesn't make any noise and it helps because that type of movement helps children and adults be able to focus on the task that is in front of them and it helps quiet things down around them in a sense mm-hmm. so those are some of the things non-medical things that parents can do
0: for their children what are maybe along that line too supplements like so you know you're we talking the vitamins minerals are there things I, the fish oil i know i'm familiar with i've heard that as omegas are really really good key supplement, but are there other things that you've heard of that might be good for someone who's struggling or diagnosed with ADHD?
3: That was the main one. I interviewed a nutritionalist who focuses on ADHD in children, and that was the main supplement. I stay away personally from ideas of supplements because if it's not backed by the FDA, I'm mm-hmm. a stickler on regulation of and drug okay, because there's a reason why it's there. But, I mean, physicians, they, they could certainly, your primary care provider, if someone thinks that their child has it, the pediatrician could definitely point to great supplements that would be helpful and would not be harmful to mm-hmm. your child.
0: I'm curious about your journey with nursing and where all this met and joined together. Let's talk about that a little bit. Your decision to become Mm. a nurse and then your journey as well.
3: My mom always told me that I would be a nurse and I told her that I would not because I cry too much (laughs) and I still do. I am a tender hearted person. I have just I've always had a super tender heart for other people and I did not start out. In the world of nursing, I started out as like a business major and then changed my degree to science. I got an associate's degree in science. And then I took a break. I got married young at 20 years old. And I just got bored of being a stay-at-home stepmom and decided that I want to go back to school. So I, I thought maybe a CRNA would be a lot of fun to do. And... So, of course, you have to be a registered nurse before you can become a certified registered nurse anesthetist. So I went to school to become an RN, and I went the ADN route, the associate's degree for it. And it was so hard. It was just one of the hardest things that I have ever done. And I had so much anxiety. I didn't think that I was smart enough whenever I wasn't making straight A's and everything. And then there was trouble at home. I felt like my husband at the time that he would pick fights with me and all before I would have a test. He really didn't want me to go into nursing. I withdrew my second semester of nursing school because I didn't think that I was going to be able to pass. I already had to be in the class, but I didn't think for the final that I would do well enough to be able to sustain. Withdrew, took a year off, went back, And I did really well in comparison during that year. And I passed NCLEX the first time. But throughout nursing school, I remember when I went to go withdrawal, my instructor said, we can't teach you to clinically think. And I was thinking, so you just pretty much told me I don't have what it takes to be a nurse, right? And which completely breaks me because this is the only thing I want to do at this point and I went back in and I think that was part of it when I went back I was like I'm going to show them that I can do it and I did and I, I had a man who taught me in high school was now one of the deans of the college and as I'm going through graduation and pinning, and he said I kept checking in and asking your teachers if they thought that you would like how you were doing and they said, "Oh, I just don't really know if she's going to be able to make it through. I just don't. I don't know that this is for her. And he's like, but I believed in you. So not only did they make that comment to me, that's truly what they thought when they saw me. And there was a hiring freeze in 2011 in Alabama. That's
0: when I graduated. So I right. got to feel that. <laughs> Mine too. There was a hiring freeze, I think, 2012. So I couldn't even apply to our first hospital until 2013. Wow! Mm-hmm. Yeah. So,
3: listen. This my first job I got was working for a pulmonologist in town as an office job. Not, not the gig for me. Mm-hmm. Not, not it. But I was making thirteen dollars an hour with oh, an RN God. license oh. as an
1: RN. They make more at McDonald's now. Normal. Yeah, I not know. even now. Back then in California, at least, mm-hmm. like our minimum wage is higher. But mm-hmm. damn, thirteen. Third, one, three. Immediately yeah. no. Immediately no. Immediately no. But I mean, it's either that or no job, no. right?
3: So,
0: right. Uh, and I was zero. always,
3: right. And I always believed it's easier to get a job when you have a job. I ended up getting a job in a very small hospital in Tennessee that was right across the street, state line. It was about an hour and a half away. And I got hired for the ICU because I wanted to be a CRNA. Someone told me that neuro ICU was the way to go. Did not know that wasn't the case, but whatever. So I just got the first ICU job, this little teeny, teeny tiny hospital, but I had to do three months on the floor first. And that was just, my hats are always off to med surge nurses, to ortho nurses, anyone who has more than two patients. I don't know how you do it. And you amaze me, period, Mm -hmm. end of story. But I went back to the ICU three months after I did that training, new nurse training, and I was there maybe two weeks and the manager wanted to talk to me. And she said, Jamie, you will make a great med search nurse, but you don't have what it takes to work in the ICU. Hmm. So I heard it from my clinical instructors. I heard it from my teachers. And now this manager is also telling me the same thing. And I am so broken. I'm crying. I don't know why I'm not good enough. I don't know why I'm not smart enough. All, All those things that I've told myself all of my life, Other people are now telling me to. I'm just not enough. And I asked her to give me one more chance. And everything went fine. Fast forward three or four months. I moved to North Carolina and to get a job in a neuro ICU at Wake Forest Baptist. And they were nationally ranked at the time in neurology and neurosurgery. Great. I'm orienting. And my preceptor says to another preceptor, who has her orientee, because we started at the same time, she said, at least they gave you someone intelligent in front of me. Again.
0: Mm.
3: Yeah. Wow. So my nursing career up to that point has just been a struggle of not being good enough. But I figured out, and I didn't know I had ADHD, but I figured out how to formulate a nurse brain, right? Our report sheet that we get that actually worked well for me. And then I started to flourish. And I became preceptor. Then I had to interview for dedicated charge nurse on that unit. And I got the job. I beat everyone else out. And then I decided that I hit my ceiling of learning because I have this great thirst for knowledge, especially about the brain. And I felt like I hit the ceiling at that job started traveling. I ended up working at Johns Hopkins. I ended up working at Massachusetts General Hospital at Yale, Neurologic Institute at Duke. So I've worked at six of the top 50 hospitals in the country for neurology and neurosurgery. And now I'm a rapid response nurse and I'm the person on the team that everybody wants to go to for information when it comes to neuro. And it's it's strange how much I was told that I wasn't good enough and I wasn't worthy to do this thing that I really wanted to do. And looking back, it's like, okay, I've proved all of this. And I just won a great 100 Nurses Award this past year. Yeah. mm -hmm, Thanks. So it was pretty, pretty wild.
1: It's really frustrating and disappointing when you know, your preceptor story, even because I feel as someone like I taught nursing school and I just can't imagine being so unsupportive of people in that way, especially when, I don't know, you haven't seen how like, I feel like it's on you to almost like find how they can flourish because it's different for every person. Mm -hmm. And even when I was teaching, i like, I can't like approach everyone in the same way because that's just not how this works. Learning styles, right?
3: But I will say that that same school, they were on probation and they were at risk of losing their accreditation because people weren't passing the NCLEX the first time.
1: Nursing school is a joke so I don't even get me started. Clearly it it didn't really have a whole lot to do with me. Maybe it was them. But I feel like Even as people working at the bedside and precepting new people, it's like, don't do it if you aren't able to understand adult learners and how different they are and find that because you've obviously gone on to become a preceptor yourself, do charge, do all these things. And it's like they that's part of their role is to to find that in you.
3: Someone asked me one, what I like least about nursing and i was like other nurses (laughs) and it's not because but it's not because i don't like the people it's just because nurses as a culture we're so mean yeah nurses eat their young is a phrase that's used for Mm -hmm. a reason and just going back to those preceptors and stuff i i cannot comprehend what enjoyment people get out of being cruel to the people that they are teaching, that they are guiding to be phenomenal bedside nurses and whatnot. But it's,
1: it's a, a real cycle. thing. I feel yeah. like we become this yeah. like meme and joke on the internet where it's like this stereotype of every mean girl from your high school goes to nursing school. And I'm like, <laughs> I was not the mean girl in high school by any no. means. And I'm like, but that's how a lot of people see it because there are that there that is a reality
0: I always try and hold on to Sam and I have a really good friend who she precepted me Lisa shout out Lisa we love her and it's funny because she was one of the most nurturing supportive yet like really pushed you and pushed me when I needed it kind of person I really try and emulate that and it's funny because she actually she was one of the nurses who also really helped me in terms of getting my foundation down, it was actually my report sheet. And I love that you brought that up because what's interesting is for a lot of us, when you feel scattered and when you feel like you're learning something new and you're overwhelmed, it's really hard to really focus and figure out like what is it that's going to help me like step up to the next level and start really sinking in with this information. So that was something for me that also helped very well was really getting my foundation down. When you were going through all of this, what were some other tips that really helped you become the nurse that you are today and like really have it sink in and grow? Even just in life too. Mm-hmm.
1: Like how do you, what are your tips to even just best mm-hmm. function in per- personally and professionally? Yeah.
3: Don't give up. I, I mean, I, if someone tells me I can't do something like we were talking about, I have to show you that I can. If you make me feel like I'm unworthy, I have to prove myself beyond the norm to just be at the minimum of expectation for people. And in the world of nursing, that is a great thing. And also, one of the reasons that I feel in general Like how I am a good nurse is that that tender heart that I have, I'm very empathetic towards people. And many people with ADHD are empaths, even if it's not the full empath as far Mm -hmm. as like crystals. But I, I, in neuro ICU, many of my patients can't talk to me, right? They Mm -hmm. aren't able to talk because they have a brain injury. They're very confused. I could form a connection almost instantly that just you could feel in your gut whenever you're taking care of these people and you can anticipate their needs. And to not get so bogged down by the task oriented, which I am very, very task oriented at work but not getting too bogged down by that to forget that there's a person there that's in that bed who needs something or that family member is the scariest thing they've ever gone through before in their life. And instead of taking their anger as rejection or that I did something wrong, but to really understand that it's, it's coming from a place of pain and to be that person. And I think leading with that foot forward really helps everything else start to fall in place around that with the other good tools that you have a good report sheet figuring out what priorities are which was one of the bad struggles when I have patients that could talk to me because somebody wants pain medicine I feel like I need to run and get that for them ASAP but five other patients want five other things it was very hard for me to figure out what the most important thing because I want to do all the things for all the people at the exact Mm -hmm. same time and I can't So ICU, going that route was really great for me as far as having ADHD in nursing because I have my two patients. Neuro ICU was great because, like I said, they can't really talk to me much, but it was very structured. Have to do a neuro exam every single hour. You have to check their ICP every single hour. Everything was very cut and dry. Mm -hmm. And I think that was really, really great for me. Now, working in rapid response, the novelty of not knowing what I'm going to when I get the page. Being 911 inside the hospital, you may be going to chest pain or somebody may be really about to code and they didn't know. And that's amazing.
0: I feel like for ADHDers, like a lot of us, getting something that keeps you on your toes is a great job or where you're learning something constantly. I know for Sam, when she Started this new job. It was interesting because I saw this whole new light in you where you were really enjoying a new challenge and something that really put you over the edge. And I think that's what's always kept me. But I literally couldn't do it. I could right.
1: not sit in front of a computer. Yeah. Like after leaving the bedside, I flourished as a flight nurse. Mm-hmm. I liked ICU because it was controlled chaos. But if you gave me three patients, I would rather call in six Same. or like, yeah. no, yeah. I want a one to one. That is like critical that I can just like focus focus in all Mm -hmm. my energy on their chaotic shift, but like it's controlled chaos. And then flight nursing, like you said, similar to rapid response. It's like, I, this is going to be a hot mess and I have no idea what I'm walking into. And it's like adrenaline on 3000 every time. And I loved having the new challenge of this job. But I had no idea how hard it was to sit in front of a computer and send an email. Mm -hmm. I could not. That is why I finally like even went because I'm like, I have this new job. I have all these ideas. I have all these things. But I cannot sit and do admin work. Like I can't stay organized. I can't. I get emails and I have to respond to them. And I have to do this like admin work and all this different sales force. I'm like, I can't. I can't do this stuff. And that was like the final push. Yeah.
0: It's been a really interesting transition. I feel like also I'm curious for you in terms of podcast production and like a lot of the things that you've been venturing into. What are some things at home that you're doing, like some tools, some very specific tips for those of us who have ADHD or struggle with this neurodivergent life that you have to stay on task? What are your best tips for us?
3: As far as podcasting, social media, making a habit that which sounds a lot easier said than done but for instance Instagram I think that there's been two days in two years that I have not posted anything on Instagram it's just been something that I have made sure that there is always consistency with that people know that they can depend on me and that That is okay as far as it reaches the deadline potential because I feel like the followers on my Instagram, truly, they give feedback that they come to my page and my account every day so that they can learn something new or that they can find some form of community there. That type of consistency tool because I don't want to let other people down. So if I put an emotional stamp on things that need to get done, It makes it easier to do that task. And we're also driven by our emotions like we talked about earlier. So if there's any way with the things that you do, that if you can put some emotional tie to it, it is going to encourage you to continue to activate, to do those things. I've also been trying to play around a lot of places where to store my ideas. And I think having a good spot that you can dump you can have a brain dump that you can have your checklist all in one place for production going through to see what you've recorded before things like that notion is one of those apps that I've used a lot because I like all the different places that I can put stuff in notion and it makes sense in an organizational aspect of my mind that's one of my at-home tools that I use a lot and I think those are the two big ones that I use to try to stay successful and consistent. Podcasting is really hard for me. I love it, but I don't have someone else. (laughs) It's a one girl show. Yeah. And oh, man, because if you don't put out, if you don't finish editing on time, your your co-host is going to be a little disappointed because that was a great episode that y'all have been promising to put out and so you have someone that you're going to disappoint but me I'm like oh well
0: (laughs) it's for yeah I Mm -hmm. would 100% agree with you solo is so hard it is so nice to have someone to not only keep you accountable on my week to week but also like bounce ideas off of Mm -hmm. like when I go a little stale Sam will pick it up and be like oh like let's do this this and this and like It's funny, too, because as uh, for me, Sam knows this. sometimes I have I'll circle the drain and not land the plane with where my brain is going. But Sam will be like, this is where Tori meant to go. And so she'll pick up in that way. So it's interesting. Like we use our skills, I think, to each other's advantage to some degree, which is really good. And we've learned our styles of communication and learning, which I think is really important to understand as well. Like with Sam, too, I know when she leaves here by all means, she probably left something behind. It's her water bottle. It's the charger. It's something we both have chronically late issues (laughs) where it's like, I swear this was important, but it's just it's very hard to stay on task to some degree when you do your brain feels like it's all over the place. Mm-hmm. for many reasons for good things for things that are just keeping your life going it is it's it's a struggle
1: sometimes i will not lie but but i mean and we have each other to like we know where it's the most in each other yeah that we can yeah like yeah. give each other that extra push or fill in yeah or the other one kind of that's their like yeah weak point for sure 100 percent. so
3: i will say too before this podcast the neurodivergent nurse I did do a podcast for a couple of years called First Do No Harm and it was, it talked a lot about social issues and I would, like when Black Lives Matter was really taken off, I would get a Black individual to come on and to talk and to share their side or when things were going on with trans rights, then obviously not as terrible as it is now, but I would have a trans man come on and talk about like what life is like and. All of that, that even then, when you're saying all of the thoughts and all of this going on, when I started taking medication for ADHD, the first time that I took it and my brain became quiet, I was thinking, Did, is this what it sounds like for other people? They can hear a single thought at a time and they can mm-hmm. hold on to it. That has helped me substantially with Mm. podcasting because I can have a thought. I can jot down that single thought without losing it because there's 12 other ones that are rushing around all at the exact same time. I also do brain dumps often. I think that's very, very healthy and helpful in general for people with ADHD, just to have a notebook that you carry around, a very, very small notebook. And when ideas come, like, jot it all down or first yeah. thing in the morning or whatever, just dump all the things that are in your head out. And then you can go through and organize it later or whatever. But when you start getting that kind of stale idea place, you can look back and be like, that's a really
0: great idea. Why well, yeah. haven't I, did, I have not done this yet? And it's there for you. I literally have to lean on that so much. Like I have a running notes tab for my to do list for the day. I have one for selfie. We have one for Nurse Tori. I have one for a content up like and and for me, I'm the person that if I don't write it down, or it's not on the calendar, I will literally forget it. I it's funny, because like, people say like, oh, the most important things, you'll remember them. And I'm like, no. that is literally not a thing for me in my brain. Oh, no. Like I am thinking about, okay, yeah, that's very important. I want to do that. And then that's important. But then if I literally don't write it down, it will not happen or I will forget. And that's the same thing with texting, like for texting with people.
1: I, I am terrible. Am terrible. People hate me. Same. And
0: Sorry. it's just, it's I really did it in my hard. Head. Yeah, totally. I did it in my head. Like I texted you back, I promise. But it's interesting because there's certain habits that I have in my life that it drives Jacob nuts. And I'm like, I swear, it's just how my brain works. And I have to do this. So I have gotten him on board. And Sam and I know we all have our calendar, and that's something that and it's color coded. Mm-hmm. And I'm very, very specific with how we keep everything organized. I just finally organized our catalog of all the things back, all of our previous notes and our audio recording and everything, because w- if I don't do that now, I find myself getting so distracted in other ways. Mm-hmm that and it's overwhelming it's very overwhelming to just put your foot in front of the next without thinking about that thing that you didn't do or that's not done
1: well I think if people came over to Tori and I's house they'd think that we're hyper organized or like because okay you look in my fridge is like insanely organized and my cupboard Tori's cupboard our closet all these things and people are always like you're so organized I'm like my brain is literally a clusterfuck, yes. hot mess, like dumpster fire. But I, we have to like overcompensate for that by being hyper-organized mm-hmm. because otherwise it's absolute
2: chaos. chaos but yeah. it
1: takes like a tremendous amount of effort to get to that point yes. of organization. But if it's not there, it's absolute just like anarchy. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely.
1: People would think that my house is not organized. <laughs> but mm-hmm. if
3: anybody knew me at work, they would have the same assumption. They would be shocked if they walked into my home because they wouldn't anticipate because I am so by the book. I'm very regimented. I am that person. I remember when I was first off of orientation in neuro ICU, I would look around. Why? Why is everybody sitting down but me? I have no idea how I can't I'm still running around doing these tasks, mm-hmm. but come to find out, it's because I don't cut corners. If if I'm told that there is a rule, and the rule makes sense to me, mm-hmm. like, or someone could die, or someone could be injured, or whatever, then I follow those rules to a very exact format. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you that's got your I'm, structure. you got your box. That's yeah. where I'm opposite. I look at a rule, and I'm like, that's a suggestion. <laughs> How can I how can I do this? Uh, make it your own. Literally yeah. like uh, way easier and like <laughs> less complicated than this silly rule that people made up and want to <laughs> force me to do. I love that for us. I want to know, I know this was like a lot of some of your content and stuff really touches on imposter syndrome and the the rejection sensitivity thing to me, I feel was like coming up from being drowning underwater and coming up for a breath of fresh air because I've been called oversensitive my entire life. And my family to this day still calls me oversensitive. And I'm like, oh, my God, this like finally light bulb moment when I like learned about this. Mm.
3: Yeah. One of the well, two things that people with ADHD struggle with a lot, like you were saying, is rejection sensitive dysphoria. And I just did a webinar on this last month. I try to do a webinar once a month for followers and stuff. But we talked about this. One of the differences, because people will also hear like, oh, yeah, well, I mean, I'm sensitive when I get rejected, too. Right. All the what about isms. But they it doesn't make as much sense to other people who don't like being hurt. Some people couldn't care less. And but the difference with us is it actually can cause physical pain, like the the intensity of the pain that it causes with emotions and things like that that is what separates the two from just a regular rejection to rejection sensitive dysphoria. And I'm not entirely sure where that comes from. I read that. It could have something to do with the rejection that we have had during childhood that is so much more than neurotypical people and things like that. But with rejection sensitivity, obviously, we perceive something that could be rejection like constructive criticism. I don't know how to take constructive criticism well, even with lots of kindness, I think I am terrible. I need to never do this again. They hate me. They think that I'm pathetic. We go to an extreme emotion with that perceived rejection, again, whether it's real or not. And that's certainly something that we deal with. Some of the tools to touch on real, real fast to help anyone, because if you have ADHD and you're listening to this podcast, you're probably going, oh, yeah, me too. I am. I I lose it whenever I think that someone says that I didn't do something right. There's ways that people can communicate with you and I will send y'all a sheet that I made for the listeners of the webinar and for my Patreons that you can give your partner, your significant other, even a family member, ways to communicate with you that doesn't entice those flash emotions that often come with that rejection sensitivity because we start to spiral in our head, we may start screaming, we may just go into an emotional breakdown, or we may start going into some type of depression from that one rejection. But i in that if you guys want to share that with your listeners. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, of course. But one of the things to do that's really important with that is to learn what triggers that rejection. And if it's this person that starts talking to you, you can feel your skin crawling right before it's coming at you because then you're going to have that flashy motion. But to be able to step away, to find an opportunity where your significant other, your friend, your partner, that you can say to them, I hear you and I understand what you're saying, but I need to take a break from this conversation. I promise that we will come back to it, but it's not healthy for me to continue right this minute, if you can. And then take that time so that your emotions can start coming back down to a normal level, and then you can start to look and see whether it was real or not real. Was it really rejection, or did they also ask you to take out the trash four days ago and you have it? Does it mean you're a terrible person? No, they're probably right to say that trash is still there. I thought we agreed to this. They weren't trying to be being, they're reminding you because we have problems with memory sometimes. Mm-hmm. So being able to take that time away, I feel like is very, very, very important. Of course, you can't do it if you're your manager or things like that, but there's a lot of steps and tools to dive into if you feel like you struggle with rejection sensitivity and and your reaction is very negative and you suffer with it a lot, I would highly recommend looking into that. The other thing, like you were saying, is imposter syndrome. People with ADHD, we feel like we lucked into any position that we get. Obviously, I did because everyone said I wasn't good enough to do what I do. And therefore, I shouldn't be a nurse. I just got lucky. Somehow, I answered the right number of questions on the NCLEX right. It was just luck. And we don't ever feel like we truly deserve the accolades that we get, that we must have swindled someone unintentionally, that if they knew what we really were like, they wouldn't believe that we were worthy of this position, of this award, of this job title in itself. And that that is a lot of head games to play with yourself, because then you also brand yourself with all of the negative things right like i am lazy i'm a slob i'm this and so those aren't qualities of a good housekeeper or those aren't qualities of things like that so you start calling yourself those things more and more because you don't feel like you truly believe who you are people who struggle with that i highly recommend which is very helpful is how we were talking about with brain dumping earlier and you were talking about a notebook that you carry or you have like an ongoing list of notes. I think that people with ADHD who have imposter syndrome, who suffer from rejection sensitivity, we need to start making a list of the good things about us that are true. I have a tender heart. That's beautiful. That is really a beautiful thing to have. Write that down in your notebook. If you think that you have great eyes, love my green eyes, write that down. And the more that you start putting those things down, when you have that negative, those negative feelings coming back to you, pull out that notebook. It's not prideful. It's not something that you shouldn't do. There's nothing bad about doing it. You need those reminders of who you really are because who you really are, you are deserving. You are wonderful. You overcome things. You're creative. And you just forget all of the amazing things
1: that make up who you are hmm. Love that, yeah. <laughs> you. no that's like i feel like whenever i get into a good rhythm of doing like positive affirmations it has such a big like noticeable benefit and impact mm-hmm. and sometimes we need yeah that.
3: and one of the we were talking earlier and i just wanted to share this because you kind of asked a bit whenever I was going through all of that like how do you get to this point when you're talking about the positive affirmations even with mantras and stuff there is a poem or writing by Mother Teresa that I used to read all the time when I was told that I wasn't good enough specifically during those years and it's called do it anyway I'm gonna read it real quick if that's okay. Because this, this for me was like the biggest keep going thing. People are often unreasonable and self centered. Forgive them anyway. If you're kind, people may accuse you of selfish motives. Be kind anyway. If you're honest, people may cheat you. Be honest anyway. If you find happiness, people may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today may be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the world your best and you may never be enough. Give your best anyway. For you see in the end, it's between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. So even if someone's not religious, the reason that you go and try to do these things and accomplish it, it not for everybody else to say that you're great. It's because you have that desire and you have that drive inside of you. And don't forget that it's there for a reason no matter what hurdle or mountain you have to climb because your your brain's a little different it's your desire so it's worth going through it no matter who does good or bad in your world
1: i love
0: that. i love that poem that's a really really i feel like that's a core foundation that i feel like lisa was the person that gave that this uh, one of our good friends who was a nurse she was that person who always did that and i think that Poem so well put that into exactly how I feel.
1: Well, it's the why behind the what why. you do. It's the right. why. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's awesome.
3: easy to forget that whenever you're so worried about what everyone else thinks, because we are. <laughs> We're yeah. very concerned with how we appear to
0: the world. Well, thank you so much, Jamie, for coming on. Before we head out, do you have a good piece of advice or a life model that you live by that you can leave for our listeners?
3: The piece of advice that I feel is very important to every person is that you are valid. No matter what is going on in your head, no matter what people tell you, You deserve to take up space in this world. Your feelings are valid. They're not too much. You're not too sensitive. You're not too... You are you. And that is a beautiful, wonderful
1: thing. And yeah, that's what I would like to leave behind. That is like, seriously, there's some days where I'm like, that's like what I need to hear. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I think we all need to hear it. And I think those sometimes it feels very
0: like trivial or but I... I agree with you. I think that we need to remind ourselves of those things every now and then, for sure.
3: Or have people in your life that can remind you when
1: you can't remind yourself too.
0: Yeah. Love that.
1: Oh, you're such a treasure. I like, Mm -hmm. I love talking to you because I feel like, I don't know, just when you, it's like the, if you know thing and it's just like everything you say, I'm like, yep, yep. Mm -hmm. And Tori and I have been (laughs) nodding our heads like this entire interview because we just resonate so much with, everything you say so it's yeah. just cool to have you on and share something that we relate so deeply to
3: well it was an honor i really had a great time
1: thank you jamie it makes sense that like adhd people like i them. know Let's we all because it's like <laughs> we well, need to, we like need to, to do... talk and we like need something to do but it's like okay can we execute but, yeah like, we're good at really getting it out there yeah <laughs> it's yeah, like yeah. The perfect perfect for sure. thing for us. It's
0: the, it's the best type of, of Outlets, medium for yeah. all of us. Speaking of which, really quick before we head off, let's yeah. hear a little bit about your podcast and all the topics that you cover and, and where to find where, it where to and
3: find, find it. you yeah. and all that. Well, my podcast is The Neurodivergent Nurse, and it sounds like it's just medical, but it's not. It's just about me and the inception of that was I love studying and researching things. And I realized not everybody likes to do that. And I figured, hey, while I'm learning about ADHD, I might as well make something that people could listen to to figure out what's going to help them while I found out it helped me. so that's what the podcast is about. I have been trying to make them weekly again. I was doing it every other week. And then my mom got sick and passed away at the end of last year. And so I took like some serious time off. So it's just getting back on it. But yeah. it has been more consistent lately. But the topics that I cover, I just put out an episode that was about morning anger. If you're really grumpy when you first wake up in the morning and you don't mm. know why, <laughs> that's, that's one that can be related to ADHD. Mm-hmm. And typically on the episodes, if it's just a solo episode, which majority of mine are, that I don't have guessed, I cover an issue like morning anger or rejection sensitivity. But then there's also tips to take away how to make it less impactful in a good way. Things Mm. that you can do and slightly change so that it's easier to navigate through a neurotypical world with our neurodivergent brains. But you Mm. can find that podcast on any listening platform. I'm also on Instagram. Like I said, I post daily on there. And that's the neurodivergent nurse. TikTok ado occasionally hit or miss because the reels take so long to make. Neurodivergent nurse on there as well. Awesome. So, yeah.
0: Well, thank you so much, Jamie, for coming on. This was a fabulous episode and definitely a topic that we're very passionate about. So, you know, the more that we know and understanding our lovely neurodivergent brains, we love it. Well, thank you so much,
1: Jamie. We appreciate your time. Thank you. And for totally understanding thank why you. I was late today. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Like I said, I I'm late every day. We're lucky that I was here on time. So yeah, there well, we go. It <laughs> worked, worked out. Well, thank you so All much. Right, thank you, Jamie. Kind of just felt like I was having a conversation with myself, to <laughs> be to be honest. It's, <laughs> it's, it's so kind weird. of nice
0: when you can re- we can relate so well with someone. Right now. I think this was one that it's kind of I like these kinds of topics because this is something that we we mentioned tends to get very thrown around in terms of the verbiage quite a lot. And it is frustrating when you feel like, no, 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 but you really don't get it. Like, I really, this is something that I struggle with. And so I'm glad we were able to have this conversation today. And yeah. we hope this was relatable for you. Head
1: home, for sure. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And if you guys got something good out of this episode, make sure you head over and drop a DM for Jamie. Let her know what you thought of this episode. And make sure you guys are following us on our Insta. That's at C-E-L-L-F-I-E underscore podcast. You can find all the goodies, our partners and savings linked there in the bio for
1: you and thank you so much for leaving us reviews if you leave us a review on apple Podcasts, just drop your ig handle so we can send you free stuff and if you don't like free stuff i don't know what's wrong with you but <laughs> literally free our stickers are adorable free stickers you. you're welcome absolutely and five stars on spotify thank you so much thank you and make sure you're following us on our insta that's at nurse Tory. and at hey samantha with two a's and stay tuned we got some fun little bonuses absolutely boop, boop. bye, bye.